Before we begin, remember to become a member by subscribing on our website at everythingyou.com. As a member, you get 10 to 40% off everything in our online store. That makes many of our products, especially those from our sponsors, cheaper than Amazon. Seriously, screw Amazon. Buy it from us for cheaper. Why would you not? It's better for you, it's better for society, and it keeps me and Paul off the streets and off the pole. Our basic membership is only a dollar a month, which means you'll get your value back, possibly on your first purchase. If you like us, become a member today. What's up, everybody? This is a great episode. My guest this episode is my friend, Dr. Shailinder Sodi, who, along with his wife, Dr. Andrew Sodi, and his brother, Dr. Verender Sodi, essentially formed the first family of Ayurvedic medicine in America. As a matter of fact, his brother, Dr. Verender Sodi, was the very first Ayurvedic medicine practitioner in the entire U.S. Ayurveda translates pretty directly as wisdom of life. Ayur, which is life, and Veda, which is science and knowledge. So it essentially translates to uh, understanding of life or knowledge of life. Ayurvedic medicine as a practice is over 4,000 years old. That's twice as old as Jesus. That's some deep roots. It's a basic component of India's medical care system and is a common medical practice for a population of over a billion. Despite that, Ayurveda is not really studied at all in conventional Western medicine, which is a shame because Western medicine is deeply rooted in Ayurvedic medicine. Hippocrates and the early Greeks who formed the basis of Western medicine uh, co-opted a number of medical and surgical practices and tools that are still used today, completely unchanged. It's easy to dismiss something 4,000 years old, so a lot of people do. But for something to survive for over 4,000 years, there must be something to it. The philosophy of Ayurveda is less about treating symptoms like conventional medicine and more about optimizing your human potential. The idea being that illness doesn't thrive in an environment of happiness, healing, and balance. We have eradicated many of the diseases that ravage human beings throughout history, but they're being replaced by more lifestyle-based disorders. New research is showing that instances of fibromyalgia, osteoporosis, diabetes, and cancer are way more epigenetic than we ever considered. Uh, Ayurveda is a great tool to help strike that balance of body, mind, and spirit, uh, forcing us to be more conscious of our health, our diets, and our response to daily stress. For people who feel like this is all brand new information, uh, you're probably more familiar than you think. There is one Ayurvedic practice that I'm pretty sure you're familiar with, and that is yoga. Yoga is a fundamental component of Ayurvedic treatment. Uh, In the U.S. alone, in 2008, there was about 10 million yoga practitioners. In 2012, 20 million. Now in 2008, there's about 50 million, 50 million practitioners of yoga. For something to grow that remarkably and that tremendously over such a short period of time must mean that some people have ascribed some sort of value to it. So if yoga shows to have some sort of benefit for people, there's no reason to believe that other components of Ayurveda would not. For people who are already pretty well-versed in Ayurveda, this is a pretty remedial introduction. We don't really discuss much about doshas or chakras or the study of fluids, but it's still important, I think, for you to uh, to check out as well because we get more into things like the importance of family and finding presence in, uh, in a busy world, uh, which brings me back to my guest. Uh, one of the very first Ayurvedic practitioners in the entire U.S., Dr. Shalinder Sodi, is a strong component of maximizing the value of life by encouraging people to be mindful of the food they eat, the way they treat their bodies. Uh, and after all, our body is the only vessel for the soul. When it's happy, we're happy. So for many people, this episode will be an introduction to the basic tenets of Ayurvedic medicine. But for many other people, it will be a reintroduction on how to live life. Because sometimes the secret to life is just life. Enjoy. If you listen closely, you can hear the voices. You can hear them whisper their legacy to you. 
will lean in from somewhere deep inside the evergreen forests of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Everything you know is wrong. Wrong, sir. Wrong with Jeremy Horn. We're an inhuman monster. I said good day. Okay. Right. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. There goes Paul. Welcome, Dr. Sodi. Thank you, Jeremy. You, yeah, it's always funny to us, like the people that appreciate the Treetop Tavern. You know, some <laughs> people come and go, "Oh, cool." Other people, like you, were like, "Wow!" Like you get, you get what the, like you said, the personalization. And I tell you, this is a unique place. I mean, I could never imagine. You know, you, you see these kind of cartoon sketches, and you know, they kind of draw the treehouse how they look at it, and maybe in some few magazines where I've seen, but this treehouse is. One of a kind. I mean, it's totally beautiful. It's hard to convey, right? Like you said, the the personal touches oh, make yeah, all yeah. the difference, and it's hard to convey just on a picture or, like you oh, said, in a lovely. sketch. It's yeah. just lovely. You have to experience in order to see what I'm talking about. Right, this place. being yeah. out in the out in I the mean, world. When you were saying the treehouse to me, you were over the phone, I said, "Yeah, okay, yeah. small <laughs> place. coming to my backyard." Yeah. <laughs> So here it is. It's the kind of mansion treehouse. That's so funny. I should have reframed it to you. <laughs> I know. Just come and hang out by treehouse with me. And God bless you. You said sure. Let's hang out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm glad to have you. Just because, as you as you know, you and I, when we speak, it's it's a different language than right. you know the vast majority. Um, where when you say Asian medicine, generally people think of Chinese medicine. It's just right. predominantly right. Uh, Ayurveda is a whole different world. And I mean, what one and a half billion people practicing for for centuries and that's kind of wanted to get into is 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 one just kind of a remedial introduction of people who are legitimately starting from zero you know in terms of what right. it is yeah the ayurvedic medicine actually the origin is from uh we can call southeast asia and india now we can say uh more definitely uh it is get it get practiced in not only in india but sri lanka part of bangladesh and part of pakistan as well they use it but uh, you know in a, uh, sri lanka and india uh, is the most extensive ayurvedic medicine get used it's actually a mainstream medicine in india uh, uh, side by side it get practiced with allopathic medicine which we call modern medicine so, like you said, it's over than 1.2 billion people uh, has, uh, you know, they use this in somehow in daily life. In every house in India, uh, Ayurvedic medicine is kind of part of their lifestyle. Uh, you know, they always, there will be old grandma or grandpa who will just tell, okay, take this little bit of, uh, you know, slice of ginger or cumin seed or, uh, Ajoin, you know, for the stomach ache. Or, so there are always those remedies available in each household. When we talk about the history of Ayurveda, you know, uh, the written text material is considered more than, you know, f- 5,000 years old. And before that, uh, it was an oral tradition that it was, you know, taught by gurus or the teachers to their disciples and very elite disciples. Not everybody, uh, they chose that you know, fit the category of becoming Ayurvedic doctors or Ayurvedic physicians, we can say. In Ayurvedic medicine, doctors are called Vedyas. Vedyas mean who have learned the traditional knowledge of healing. Uh, 
So those people were called Vedyas. And the more I learned about Ayurvedic medicine, I always imagine like the old 1970s kung fu movies where yeah. the master teaches it on <laughs> and then gets revenge for the master. Yeah. Well, the thing with you, Jeremy, we, that's how far we can go, right? right yeah. you know? <laughs> to the 70s. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is, it's like uh, when you dig into uh, Ayurveda, is a part of Vedic lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's mentioned in ev- all the four Vedas. And the Atharvaveda, which is the fourth Veda, uh, is completely dedicated to Ayurveda. And later on, uh, the surgeons like Sushrut, who were the very first surgeons, and even modern medicine people considered him a god of surgery because he was the first one to re- write the books about how to perform different surgeries. You know, can you imagine they have done cataract surgeries in those days? We talk yeah. about, and they have done like plastic surgeries, rhinoplasties. I think that's what's, what's uh, I think a lot of people uh, uh, have have trouble reconciling is we see certain types of medicine or, or, or practices throughout the world. And they go, oh, well, they practice this here. They practice this here. Even as far back as, you know, two, three thousand years ago, cultures were still borrowing from each other. I don't think a lot of people realize how many modern surgical practices predate, you know, westernized allopathic medicine that borrowed from it and not just borrowed from absorbed it entirely exactly. and adopted it you know exactly. and it's and, exactly so it had these very specific roots it wasn't like hey let's just try this and try it our own way no 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 the late land work had already been laid out right. effectively yeah. you know the one of the, surgery yeah Man. the surgery like we talk about rhinoplasty when the britishers took over uh you know they were coming to india as an east india company uh they realized that, you know, sometime in the wars and the soldiers, you know, they will have either chopped off, you know, tip of the nose or something. And they will go to these people uh, who were the Vedyas, uh, Ayurvedic physicians, and they will do completely reconstruction of the nose. And, you know, they were totally surprised. And I think uh, it is written in one of the, uh, you know, if you go uh, English Museum History in London, uh, they uh, in 1700 they wrote the first article, the rhinoplasty or the uh, construction of nasal, uh, you know, uh, bridges uh, in India. And this guy tells about his encounter that he met this surgeon in Himalayas who was doing all this, and they adopted exactly step by step. And the modern medicine, how they do rhinoplasty now. It's exactly what was yeah. done in, you know, he saw uh, 400 years ago. The more research you do historically, you see how how precise, how scientifically precise it is. Even even uh, from what I've learned, even modern tools and certain types of scalpels that we used were invented in the end. Here's the exact model. Exactly. Still used today. Right. Yeah. And the Sushruta, I mean, had all the surgical tools which they used for different surgery. They even described how to make, uh, have, uh, you know, surgery room, uh, how it should be facing, how the sun should be pointing. Mm-hmm. And and how they will fumigate uh, the surgery room before uh, uh, performing surgeries, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like uh, you know the you know if you see some of the Midwest movies you know from uh, early 1900s you know our time I'll say where the person is holding the, the cowboy the, the cowboy, cowboy movies with move, the sawbones <laughs> yeah remove the bullet these surgeons knew how to anesthetize them by either doing acupoint, we can say marma therapy, pressuring, uh, pressuring the nerves and cutting down the either supply or compressing the nerve, making it totally numb, so surgery will be pain-free. And sometimes they use these uh, certain herbs which have that um, numbing effect 
and you know do it so all these things were mentioned and they will prepare the patient in a way and heal them and stitch them and you know then they will tell how long it's going to take what type of food should be given to the patients after surgery and all that so there's so much history in ayurvedic medicine and then we had the guy named charak who was a doctor of internal medicine or we can call him the medicine man and the sushrut was the surgeon and charak was the medicine man this guy's job was that he was so much into uh, herbs that he you know he will go every jungle he'll walk that's all he did with his disciples with his students and describe every plant what type of effect mm-hmm. it will have and wrote a complete book called charak samhita and i mean in order to become an ayurvedic physician you have to study charak samhita and sushrut samhita which is a book of surgery and book of medicine and you know how it is written i mean everything what is mentioned in charak is still holds true to mm-hmm. in today's world a mm-hmm. lot of diseases they mentioned you know is just how it happens and how you know how long it will last and they describe diseases uh between like which are treatable and diseases which are not treatable or diseases which are going to have worse ending they described in a such a path yeah. so they made it like feel like vedas or the ayurvedic physician don't feel guilty for not able to heal the person completely so they knew what what is treatable and what is not treatable and what is going to kill the patient so you know and preparing the patient in a such a way helping them out in the tough situation and also showing the path of living healthy you know what are the things everybody the rituals they need to do in order to live healthy which i think that's what uh, ironically what um, modern medicine was in in the us was that same philosophy of here's what we can control here's what we can here's what we can manage here what here's what we can now with the advent of 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 modern medicine with penicillin and and, and inoculation things like that medicine is now treated like magic where people go into hospitals and are like fix this dummy and are very condescending to their doctors they're very like this bozo couldn't tell me what to do you know it's it, it seems like um there's been a shift in the uh, westernized culture right the uh, now what it is fall is uh, the the people has a kind of part of i call I'll call it as a blame game that mm-hmm. okay you know mm-hmm. i need to go to the uh, doctor's office or need to go to the emergency room or urgent care or hospitals and i expect him to give me something which will heal me immediately yeah i i they don't have patience and they don't want to be because we are getting used to the fast lifestyle and the current generation i mean our generation jeremy you are a little bit younger than i am so you know i i already see there is not enough patience they want to have this pill model okay pop couple aspirin pop couple uh, tylenol uh, you know or ibuprofen to get rid of headache rather we i don't have a time why it happened at the first place i don't want to think about it you know the preventive model is not there anymore mm. it's very much you know okay uh if i have this disease you better have a uh, you know some approach you better have a solution the blame game you better right. have a solution for me right. and i think you and i are in a unique position because we saw the transition happen right. we witnessed it right before us kids nowadays are born and the internet's already there exactly. the second they're born they didn't know uh, you know before it was only libraries they see no you have liberty internet and libraries no no yeah. no this is a new phenomenon and to them it's all they've had yeah. and medicine in the same way there's a book i think it's called dead doctors don't lie i may be wrong right 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 but it, uh were they were the turn of the century the top doctors in the us were telling their patients stop saying give me two of these and call me in the morning 
it was an idea that was invented, you know, ever since antibiotics and the, and the, and the, and the, and the discovery of these things, which are wonderful marvels, but now we're treating them like wizardry. So doctors were saying that med- Westernized doctors were saying that 80 years ago, 90 years ago. And now fast forward a hundred years later, it's gotten worse because I work with physicians. You work with physicians. We know exactly. we see things from their perspective where doctors are, their minds are blown. Cause they go here. I am trying to have a, an honest conversation with my patient. And he's like, yeah, but what about the thing I saw on TV? And now he's marketing to himself or prescribing to himself. And now the doctor's stuck in the middle. So like you said, there's this demand. What's interesting though, that is that because there's been such a, 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 to me, it's a really negative shift. Like you said, of the blame game of doctors can't win. There's lawsuits, malpractice everywhere. Everybody wants these magical results. Well, how long did it take you to, to, to put on 50 pounds? You know what I mean? Exactly. How long did it take you to, how long has this disease been developing? Oh, I've had this for eight years and you want to magically take it away. So what I've thought was interesting is in the last few years, Really with the growth of yoga in this culture and the growth of uh, and the more research on turmeric going on, especially in India and throughout the world, how it's becoming so conclusive that doctors that previously used to poo poo it are now coming to me being like, what's the right one do I take? They're coming to me like in humility now saying, which is the right one I should be doing right now with this trend. I've noticed the we've kind of eliminated mumps and measles and the things that used to wipe out, you know, entire populations. Now, the, the modern, like you said, our lifestyles, our trends and things like that. Ayurveda is a very lifestyle oriented uh, medical tradition i've noticed more and more people are just are actually saying things like i'm just tired i'm just stressed i'm just they're not used to we're used to qualifying uh uh diseases or disorders or symptoms i've noticed now more and more people are like i'm just tired all the time i'm just snacky all the time my blood sugars and ayurveda seems to fit into that and so for the first time instead of me having to coach people or teach people what you and i are talking about i think now more and more people are just kind of like i need to manage my life better and ayurveda fits in well with that and i think now people are starting to see it have you noticed that trend as well yeah yeah the the thing is uh, you know uh definitely one of the thing is, uh, Jeremy, is that uh, we are lucky that we are in the Northwest states, like in Washington state. We are in a bubble. Yeah. We are the people who are very conscious about our living, what we put in our food, uh, how we, you know, take care of our backyards, the plants and herbs and food we grow. You know, people in Northwest are more genuinely knowledgeable about with the living lifestyle. But there are states in, if you go Midwest and a little bit on South, the they are still stuck to the model of not living healthy. They don't know what we are talking about. It's a, it's a totally wrong message. Uh, I don't want to bring a politics, but when the president eats a McDonald's in the Air Force One uh, or the burger, Sends the message, message, yeah. message is going very totally wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where the previous administrations were coaching about how to have exercise routines and eating healthy, having fruits in the plate in the school, that model is a preventive model. Mm-hmm. When we talk about yoga, when we talk about getting early in the morning, doing certain rituals before you start your work. That model is a healthy model. You're breathing pranayama, doing, cutting down the stress. The, I see patients, 80% of my patients have certain level of stresses, which yeah. are from, my, I, I have my own way of rating them from the highest stressors to the lower stressors. Mm-hmm. But 80% of them have some sort mm-hmm. of a stressor. They don't know how to deal with the daily lives. Mm-hmm. They are totally boggled down with the amount of work they have to put uh, you know, you mentioned about technology, and these are the people who are behind the technology, and they are bringing every day something new to keep on going and keep on producing money for the companies, and they are forgetting their own life. And our next generation is hooked up to the laptops, hooked up to the phones, hooked up to everything, and creating a mess 
when i would love to see my kids running in the backyard mm. playing in this like a tree house we are sitting and interviewing you know uh, you know i would love to see them running into the jungle yeah. going after uh, running after the birds or chasing uh, you know you know things here and there uh, playing these days these kids are sitting on their iPhones or the smartphones or the uh, the computers playing video games and have no sense of that it's, how, how it's incredibly it, insidious because yeah. it it doesn't seem so because video games are fun you know oh, exactly. so it, you know this I like my favorite Netflix show so it doesn't seem insidious I don't have children but uh, all my friends have little ones right they're all yeah. having kids now and what they found is now their kids are turning two three four years old right is that they're playing they're playing games or playing whatever and then mom's like well I'm gonna go cook and so I can't keep an eye on you so they give them the iPad as soon as they give them the iPad their personalities change and right. they become more demanding and it's qu- and it's quantifiable where every single because I don't even have kids so I have nothing to gauge off of yeah. every single one of my parents has has uh, uh, tools for dealing with that because it's so noticeable and so prevalent but you could you would never do a mass study on it you know what i mean it's something you have to incorporate in your own lives yeah. and so certain parents said nope we only they only get time from here to here or here to here you have to make rules and structure because i have my friend my, my, my friends they have sweet little kids you give them an ipad 20 minutes later they're cranky little monsters all right you know we talk about all the attention deficit attention deficit hyperactive disorders you know all those things were not that much prevalent uh, uh, you know at least a l- lot of these things manageable they were manageable. very manageable i never saw yeah i saw some overactive kids but they were not really that bad now we see totally kids who are not able to focus and you know a lot of problem and the blame game goes on the technology which we have produced and then also some of the vaccination and immunizations which we have done have created autism and all that type of things as well you know there are all those some references available but anyway you know like said i you know you and i agree that vaccinations also did a lot of good things that we were not able to the population is not wiping away but same time we are doing over vaccination which is creating the problem in the community in general and other things so i think we need to look at it a balance and there needs to be a healthy balance there need to be healthy balance and when we talk about the lifestyle and the yoga and ayurveda that's what we're talking about we're talking about things that are a, controllable in people's lives that right. they don't realize are controllable yeah you don't want to feel ever that you do not have control on your life the moment you feel that i think you are sending a wrong message to the brain that really you don't control yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is you do have a control and you just need to learn how to do it and maybe take a step back take a deep breath and close your eyes and feel the air and feel the freshness and see what message comes to you you want to hear my nightmare yeah so because i'm single right uh, so uh my generation is just what you were talking about growing up where the blame game so uh, women that say i have add so they're treated with that or whatever so they've never learned how to function in normal work society because a- their add medication got them through school that doesn't tra- that trains you how to be a, a a drone it doesn't teach you how to function in the world and right. so they don't do well and also because i date women who are asian and latin and, and european you get a different perspective so my ex was an alternate for the olympic team for her country that's mm. tremendous shape right Wow. She moved to the U.S. and put on 30 pounds. Oh, man. Do you see what I'm saying? Is that a coincidence? Did somebody cough on him on the plane and give him 80 pounds? You know, Did she just change her lifestyle and her habits, yeah. right? So in, in college, her, her working at her first job, 
she goes to her boss and says, uh, like you said, breathing and these things, they, they, they make such a huge impact that, that we just disregard them. Breathing seems like you only have to think about it. You yeah. should. People yeah. never think they need to breathe. Right. And so uh, her, her boss, her first year of working, uh, her first day of working, right, after college, she goes, I'm going to go for lunch. She goes, all right, see you later. She comes back an hour and a half later and her boss goes, you're fired. He was joking, but he's like, what's the matter with you? She's like, what are you talking about? He goes, you get 20 minutes for lunch. She thought that was the dumbest thing she's ever heard in her life. Wow. And she's right because in Latin America, Europe, Asia, you sit down for lunch for an hour, you go off, you get your Aaron's done. You relax. You come to work focused. Right. Here we say, hey, 20 minutes, get back. Some people just eat. I do this sometimes. Eat right in front of the screen. Yeah. It's a terrible habit. Sometimes I have to catch myself and be like, I need to get out of the room. Right. I need to go walk around, do an errand, then come back and reset the brain and you can focus more. Yeah, When we, I'm seeing a patient, this is what I'm discussing with the, my patient is like, you know, you need to eat three regular meals based on your requirement of the body and you need to have healthy snacks in between meals. Make sure you take a break. In me, when you're eating, you're not eating in front of television. You're not eating in the car. The you're eating not eat- is the function. The eating right. itself is the right. function. I, yeah. I don't want people to under, uh, feel like that eating is a burden. Right. You know, the problem with the people who I see eating and, uh, you know, pushing down the, shoving down the food is like, for them, that's not priority. Priority is the work or activity which right. they have taken mm-hmm. over. Think about it. Food is necessary to nourish. energize, yeah. nourish, and yeah. keep our soul within our body. <laughs> so, you know, if you soul is such a thing, it wants to live in a clean place. It mm-hmm. wants to live in a healthy place. The soul wants to be happy. And soul be... needs to be happy. We don't see it. We don't realize it. But it makes you feel like your existence. Mm-hmm. So if you are eating food or if you are doing activities in a way... What you're trying to do is actually you are having an exit plan for yourself. Mm-hmm. That means yeah. that your soul is already trying to find a where is that emergency door I'm gonna jump out. <laughs> yeah, it's a grim way of looking at it, but it's true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you know the reality is, don't ever consider eating is a burden. Enjoy the food, and eat the right food mm-hmm. and eat in right quantity. Mm-hmm. Don't eat out of stress. And every bite should be enjoyed the way you had put your energy in cooking. The other thing I emphasize on my patient is cook your meals. Mm -hmm. Put your energy in it so you know exactly what you have put in and the amount of love you have put in. Remember how the mom's cooking is always the best cooking Mm -hmm. we have? Because we... Mother had put all that love, even though she's talking to you, doing, and her hands are moving and chopping all of the things. The food always tasted wet because... It was the her energy, it was her love which mm-hmm. was in the food. That's true. And when we all sat around the table or on the floors or wherever we ate in our lives with our mom and parents, it tasted so good. Yeah. And same thing I tell, when you cook yourself, you learn to put your energy in it. And mm-hmm. that energy actually transpires in you and yeah. it actually... in it, it gives you the energy which you should be getting from the food. It comes back to you. Yeah, right. And all those frozen foods and jumping from the fast food, who knows what they have put in it? What kind of energy is going on? Chemicals, they, poison, oh, fear. Talk about all fear, that. Yeah. You know, all those things. That and just transfers, as you said, right back to you. Right yeah. back to you. Yeah. And our society is getting sicker and sicker. There are more diabetic people. There are more hypertensive people in the world. And the number one uh, cause of death is still uh, heart diseases in this country. That's interesting. Okay, so yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to get to that. The that uh, um, 
uh, all these these the the traditional diseases that were scary measles mumps they're graphic like if you look at old pictures from you know 100 years ago of right. patients it is ugly well then you have the inoculations and you have the treatments and you have the antibiotics that treat things like that MRSA uh, not MRSA I'm sorry uh, 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 whatever whatever sort of infections are you know are, are, are prevalent um, overridingly 100 years ago now they're more fibromyalgia they're more systemic they're more uh, epigenetic they're more lifestyle oriented things that are simply um, exacerbating so we get so caught up in genetics because science is so tremendous and amazing now. We can, right. we, can we can dive into the body itself. Then people get hyper-focused on that. So they go, oh, you, it looks like you have a predisposition towards diabetes. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to get diabetes. If you take care of yourself and manage yourself, you go your whole life and that gene will never express itself and manifest. But now people go, oh, no, turns out I have diabetes. So time to get into pizza and ice cream. It turns out I have genetically have diabetes anyway. And so yeah. people lose that focus. What, right. what, what I notice is, one, what you're saying is like, again, these things manifest these other things, which is what I've always believed. And then two, uh, Ayurveda fits into that pretty directly because now the, the scourges of modern culture in the U.S. and throughout the world are very different. They're, they're a different approach. So I think ashwagandha, I think, is the second large, most widely sold herb in the world. Actually, think- yeah, ashwagandha has a great reputation because it's one of the uh, my favorite herbs too. And uh, it actually supports the whole system. It actually helps with the adrenals. It helps the musculature. It uh, actually make you strong. The name ashwagandha mean uh, the uh, you know ashwa mean horse. So which kind of make you strong like a horse. <laughs> uh, you know that's uh, uh, the one way of fine way of uh, you know. Uh, giving respect to an herb that it does for you. And there are lots of studies on ashwagandha for so many, but it can be taken by all the age groups throughout their life. It falls into the Rasayan category. That means which uh, enhances your immune system, keeps you young and very flourished. And it has, a, you know, I can explain the mod- modern medicine, but the traditional way was take it every day, uh, either a little bit of organic milk or with plain water, uh, you know, and it will keep your joint aches and everything away and makes you strong. That's what I, that's what I, that's why I always have difficult with is because people are so used to looking in these modern terms where if somebody says my shoulder hurts, I go here, do this. Hey, I got a deep bruised thigh here, take this. When with ashwagandha, I say, just take it because I told you to. I right. tell people, tell, take it because you trust me. Take this because it's good for you, right? right. Because it's hard to quantify because people go, what's it for? What do you mean, what's it for? We always think everything has to be for a reason as opposed to nourishing right. your entire That's the whole... modern concept of when I'm yeah. talking about the aspirin. Okay, you take this for the headache. Okay, so we got a pain or you got to Tylenol or other thing. Okay, you got a blood pressure. I got your ACE inhibitors, calcium, beta blockers. I have all the whole pharmacy for you, what I want to give you and address only one part rather than looking what might have caused it, what, you know, what we need to focus. So that's in the ashwagandha, when we talk about it, it's actually serving the whole body. It's not pointing at the one point. So it's a nourishing to the every cell in the mm-hmm. body. It helps to regenerate. It has a you know anti-inflammatory effect because it has a steroidal saponins. So again, I'm talking in the modern medicine. I if I talk in Ayurvedic terminology, it's a they, different set it's of, a yeah. different way of thinking. Yeah. So you know, uh, you brought in uh, turmeric and the curcumin that been used for thousands of years. Yeah. We not only it's an anti-inflammatory, but it have been now the such shows that. It's been used thousands of years for very specific purposes. The exact same purposes that are being studied now, science is just uncovering why. The science isn't just discovering, oh, you can use it for this. No, no, no. It's been used for that for thousands of years. We're now seeing why. You know, that model comes from the pharmaceutical thinking that we want to see what are the pathways it interferes with. Which is understandable. We just get too caught up into it. But the reality is you take it every day. In Indian cooking, uh, East Indian cooking, 
the turmeric is a spice which added to every food so there is a reason why they added it because they knew every day we have wear tears with those days people used to hard work in their field they will gather woods they will cut chop woods they were hunt they come and they found it this is spice you take every day so your body aches and everything keeps and uh, keeps you healthy without causing any side effect yeah if and mom doesn't make curry for a week your joints start to hurt again exactly. you know so people notice trends right. and yeah so the other thing is i mean the uh, turmeric is also very protective of the neurons the mm-hmm. nerve cells incredibly neuroprotective and, neuro-protective. and uh, it the found it uh, you know in indian population i mean uh, when i went to school we studied only alzheimers in the books but i had mm-hmm. not seen a single patient in when i was in india mm-hmm. and the population of alzheimer was very i mean i did not see any so that as far i'm concerned i did not see even a single patient but where mm-hmm. if there was a patient of alzheimer's in india there were very small population which was not mentioned in anywhere and when i comes to ui and my first experience when i start you know learning and uh, you know my first position that i went to some nursing homes and i saw patient they said this patient is having alzheimer and there was a whole alzheimer ward and i looked at it, these men uh, you know ladies uh, who suffered with it and i couldn't imagine what might have gone wrong with these uh, people's life and later on when a britisher uh, in study was came out and they found the cause of alzheimer they found the people uh, who had alzheimer uh, brain biopsies uh, they compared uh, between the you know the uh, soldiers from the indian descent and the soldiers from the uh, the european descent and they found the people who were from the indian descent their gyrides which are the kind of sulcus and gyrides you know which kind of deep were much deeper and compact and there was a pigmentation mm-hmm. in the brain mm-hmm. and where they looked into the western brains those soldiers from the western side uh, their brain was a big size and the gyrides were not deep enough and also there wasn't any that pigmentation present mm-hmm. and then further to curiosity they did a little bit to find out what the hell is that pigmentation in the brain in the uh, indian soldiers brain side and they found that it was a part of turmeric uh, pigmentation so the conclusion was the patient who had alzheimer they found that there was a, you know uh, they lacked all that uh, pigmentation in the brain and that actually probably they con- uh, they come to this final conclusion that the turmeric was the reason why there is a less brain damage uh, uh, in the indian population or alzheimer and it had prevented and it actually helped to regenerate the nerves and now there are so many other herbs which does the same thing so these are the common spices which they found are used you know we uh, the also proper use of good fats like ghee always been given a bad reputation in the west but in ayurvedic medicine ghee from the cows which are grazing in the jungle and uh, that you know uh, actually was the best fat you can do of course they recommended you only want to do a little bit don't want to overdo it but you know they understood how important fats are for our mm-hmm. uh, membranes and the body so small things 
again, it falls into your lap as a living how you live your life, the right. lifestyle, and paint a bigger picture, like you said. I think that's part of the uh, part of the problem as well, is because, uh, like you said, it's it's those little small things. Everything in our culture is wait until it becomes a problem, then deal with it. People don't want to do the little small things that yeah. accumulate and into a lifestyle in right. the long term. I see so many people, at, especially here in the Northwest, Microsoft, Boeing, Costco, huge companies out here, right? Major some of the biggest corporations in the world, Starbucks, right here in our backyard. So people work for Boeing, Microsoft, and Starbucks for 40 years, then retire. It's like, yay, 40 years that work in the company. Now I get to enjoy my life. And then all sorts of heart disease, neurogen- uh, 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 neurodegenerative problems, you know, you know, disorders. So I see all, all these young baby boomers children being like, my parents worked 40 years, you know what I mean, to, to finally retire. And now all they do is in and out of hospitals. All now, So you worked 40 years to give yourself dementia. Right. Wow, you know, yeah, it's like you know the uh, rather than preventive model, we have emergency model. Mm-hmm. That means if you reactive. Got sick, you're reactive, and we want to go, okay, you know, uh, okay, uh, I I will go to the doctor when I think I'm sick. Uh, preventive model is uh, puts a little bit more responsibility on your mm-hmm. shoulder. Eat right, exercise every day, do breathing exercise, sleep well, hydrate. All those things are important in order for us to live in a healthy lifestyle. And do the things which are exactly right for you. And Ayurveda talks about, you know, how we uh, should be living. There's a, you know, circle of uh, health we call Swasthavrit, which means the things which start from your wake-up time to going to the sleep time. It talks about every little thing in your life, how to be doing in that circle of health. And, uh, you know... If every individual does it, I, I think uh, uh, the crisis which we have in uh, America for the health crisis we are facing, it corrects itself. It's a huge financial burden. People don't realize we all absorb the costs all of right. doctors just constantly having to treat things that are that are completely treatable. It just sucks up doctors' time, yeah. drives up health costs. If people, if everybody just pitched in and took care of themselves a little bit better, all the health costs begin to lower. You know, you know I tell my patients, I say, you know, even though I'm a physician, my model is I want to see you healthy. So I, I would love to see you once in a year rather than seeing <laughs> right. you, you know, multiple yeah. times. I tell people too, I'm happy to take your money. I'm trying to help you right. take care of yourself better. Right. And now we can hang out socially instead right. of you always coming to me with right. problems. Right? So, you know, the <laughs> Those are the things which I think uh, 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 as a in large community, we all need to understand. And those who are you know listening to the podcast, they need to understand the responsibility falls on our shoulder at the end. Uh, nobody hurts when you are sick. It's you who are suffering. Yeah. I mean, your friends, your family, your relatives can only come and, you know, just maybe sit with you for a few minutes and feel sad for you or sorry for you but the reality is you are the sufferer but they absorb the suffering too they absorb the cause that makes me furious when I see clients of mine whose whose family members bring them to me and I say here's some things you need to do right. and then they just don't do it right. just, just out of stubbornness laziness just just arrogance whatever right. it is we are, yeah. we're all I call it those are all the sympathizers and all yeah. that they will do it but that you know that the real pain is within you mm-hmm. and you are the sufferer so you need to take responsibility of course we don't want to by seeing our friends and relatives they see us suffer they feel sad about it they feel bad about it and we create a disease process in a way that 
where they get stressed out and somebody who's really attached to you and they start fall they get they absorb they, they absorb the stress and damage well. yeah. so it is a disease process but like you said the soul i mean whether people believe it or not there's something transferable where when you're miserable the person that cares about you most they absorb that as well right. it's unseen right. it's not like a, jo- a shoulder pain it's yeah. unseen but it's there yeah. Yeah. it's you know it's a the law of nature the you know all the living beings can uh, feel the pain and understand but the person who suffers the most is you yeah. uh, when you're having it so take care of yourself i think uh, you know uh, understand what you uh, goal what are your goals are in your life and what you really want to achieve and you know and enjoy the life do the something which really makes you happy don't do anything which really you don't have your heart into it and this tree house when i sit here <laughs> i i that's what i see it is somebody's love someone's enjoying yeah and somebody's yeah. Enjo- love and enjoying it what they made out of it and you the, can sense it you can feel you it you can yeah. sense the energy of these individual who have put every little small things to their taste and to enjoy that thing here so you know the same thing is with the life you you are a house and you are the decorator of your house and you are the cleaner of your house mm-hmm. and how you decorate yourself how you clean your house is your responsibility not someone else and reflects to other people when they see your house go this is a lovely house they exactly. see the work that's gone exactly. into it they don't think it just happened they just bought it off a block they know the work right. and care that went into it right so you know that that's uh, i think a biggest uh, mm-hmm. message which i want to give to all the listeners on your podcast today Jeremy yeah that's great and we're just real quick and we get going here so uh, you know we'll get you out the door but uh, we uh, um one of the, like you mentioned enjoy things right things that you maybe didn't even enjoy before like people like there's a good point of people just eating and shoving down food uh paul myself my cousin and little brother lived in uh, argentina so we the first day there we go up to the restaurant and they're closed and it's like 7 p.m we're like what do you what do you, what do you mean you're closed at 7 p.m you're just thinking right. like americans like this is insane we can't get a sandwich we can't get a meal they're like yeah, no. we have 24 hour food available exactly there. and i was just, and, and so we were like well what do we do they're like well we open at 7:45. come back at 7:45. we're like that's that you know no other so we go to other couple of places every restaurant's closed at seven because that's pe- people's family time right? right so then the first day we're starving we're frustrated we just grab some quick thing at the mini mart right the next day we go to that restaurant at 8 p.m and we're like this is phenomenal the food was amazing and every single person there sat and ate for an hour and a half to two hours you know what I mean? So people oh, wow. sat there, ate for two hours, and there's like a Tuesday it's a night. Time. It's a social time, and then everyone goes home and goes to bed. So you go and you're relaxed. Those last two hours is not you paying bills and being stressed out like we all are. You're enjoying your friends, your family. So so, so suddenly, the more people I've talked to that have traveled throughout the world, Americans that have never experienced the world, they suddenly go. I used to eating like you said used to be a chore, and now it's something that I enjoy. So my family is from Korea, so they uh, my family came and stayed with us for three and a half weeks. Came and stayed with wow. me, right? So you know when Americans come to visit and they go, and families come and people always like, oh jeez, and like oh. Oh, thank God they got a hotel, right? In Asia, it's offensive. Oh, no, it's okay. You were thinking like Americans, we're going to go get a hotel. Like, why would you get a hotel? Stay with us. That's what it is. Yeah, that's and so, cultural. And culture. So people said, boy, three and a half. God, that must have been rough. I was like, no, I miss my family. Like yeah. for those three and a half months, every night is dinner time. Every night is social time. Every right. night is your communicative time. You're, 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 you're blocking off that sense of time. And now that they're gone, I don't have that anymore. I can't yeah. call a friend and chat with them for two hours <laughs> and waste their day, right? Yeah, exactly. And so like, like these things that, like, that you've been laying out, they're not difficult. 
people. They're really not. It's just doing them and turning them. If you do it and you try to force yourself to do it, it's not going to stay. If you do it because you truly enjoy it, not just because you know it's better for you in the long run, but because you're enjoying it. Spices are good. Curry tastes good. You know what I mean? When you do these things and you make it part of your life, uh, uh, omla, I put right on my bread. You know, things when you start to enjoy it, it becomes a daily part of you. It's no longer like, man, I'm doing this thing because I don't want Alzheimer's. I'm doing it because I enjoy it because I notice it helps me life and helps me feel better. You know, the thing is when you do right and you will age healthy, and, and that's the whole yeah. yeah look good too nobody gonna live forever that's one of the thing i tell uh you know we are here but living health is important Take, you want to look good and feel good doing it right that's the and way, you need yeah. to enjoy your life and god has given us so many beautiful things in this world we need to enjoy it and we need to love it and we need to love each other you know all these things makes a difference when you look into life in that perspective rather than you know negativity bringing in yourself and looking everything in negative which is so easy to do it's and easy it's, to it's, very it's easy much to harder do. to build positive it's yeah. very and as you know the podcast is called everything you know is wrong right? right if there's one misconception that you could overnight disseminate and disappear make it go away if there was one misconception about life ayurveda whatever it is in general what would it be something that everybody gets wrong it's something that everybody thinks or perceives and it's not the way it is at all if you could have that off the table yeah what would it be what would it be what would be your you know the my best thing is that you know learn to love yourself learn to love each other and learn to love what you do that's the biggest thing if all of us do that you know we are on a right path it's hard to be resentful when you're comfortable and happy with yourself right yeah, you true. know and you know people who don't uh, find that they love themselves or they have some so many things going wrong in their life they think they always are on the wrong side of the coin or the wrong side of the table uh, that's the one thing i would like to tell and you know when learn to appreciate what you have that's the biggest message that's fantastic i agree Thank you so much for coming my friend. Did you enjoy? Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting <laughs> me to this beautiful tree house and uh, all those listeners uh, who uh, are listening to this podcast, I really recommend you to come and look at this beauty. <laughs> They're not allowed. Friends and family only. <laughs> yeah, first become a friend first become then, a fan. <laughs> and then come over. <laughs> Thank you Dr. Thank Sodi. You. You're very welcome. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Dr. Shailinder is always a blast to talk to. So I hope you got, uh, you finally got a chance to enjoy him as well. Um, and if you were interested in learning more about the Sodi family and their practice, uh, check out their website, Ayurved. That's the letter R, letter U, V E D dot com. And if you were interested in getting any Ayurvedic products, uh, we've got them from uh, the Sodi family right there in our website at everythingyou.com and become a member and get them at a discount. Uh, once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Peace. That's all I got. Everything you know is wrong should be listened to for entertainment purposes only. Although some guests on the show are medical doctors, most are not, and the host is barely even a person. Nothing you hear on this podcast or read on our website should be considered medical advice. Consult your doctor and use common sense before doing anything you might think have a lasting effect on your body, mind, and spirit.